Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The 1865 Match Report. Hello and welcome to the 1865 Match Report on Saturday the 30th of April, a day that Nottingham Forest have beaten Swansea City 5-1 at the City Ground, meaning that Forest have got an aggregate scoreline of 9-2 against Steve Cooper's old club. And I'm sure he won't admit it, but I'm sure he'll be very pleased with that. My name is Rich Ferraro and I'm joined by Baz. How are you doing? All right. Yeah, I think that reaction... <laughs> It probably says a lot, doesn't it? And uh, before we go into the meat and drink of the match, because there's a lot to talk about, uh, let's just recap the team news. And actually, it was a lot simpler than we thought it would be because Forest were unchanged, at least in terms of their starting level. So the uh, the fears of injury, keeping out Colback, Surridge and Zinkenogel were mm, mostly unfounded. Either that or Steve Cooper was hustling, make up your own mind. Uh, there was the one change on the bench, though, because Zande Silva dropped out and young Dale Taylor came on to the came into the first team squad for the first time. Right now, Baz, as I said earlier, there's a lot to talk about. Um, let's just cover a little bit in terms of the starting situation before today's match. So Forest cannot afford to drop anything. They are very much the chasers still, um, despite that victory over Fulham. And uh, Bournemouth, well, we'll talk about them in a little bit more detail later. But basically, they're they're still the ones in pole position. Now, my question to you is, in terms of the pre-match atmosphere, in terms of what you saw happening in the warm-up, in terms of when the game got started, was that... Was that tension reflected in the way that Forrest and indeed the fans were approaching this match? It was a, I've never ever felt an atmosphere like, like it was today. It's unlike any other game I've ever been to. Um, I think there was, we were confident that that's the thing. So um, they, they said on the radio, actually, like every other time that Forrest had been under pressure and like had, um, like we used to re- remember years ago, we used to have the thing about Sky TV where we would always lose when we were on the telly because we were in the spotlight. Whereas, and and sometimes it would be the fans that would feed that 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 nervous tension onto the players, and sometimes it, you could see it was the players that would feed it onto the fans. Well, neither 
the fans nor the players were nervous today. It was it was really weird. It was, and as I say, the, the atmosphere was electric. It was we we were just we we just we 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 knew we could do it, and and we wanted to do it. Okay, now as as Forest fans of a certain age, so too young for the uh, European Cup glory days, but uh, but older than the poor generation of fans who've never seen any success in a red shirt. Um, I think the benchmark we've always used has always been the Bayern Munich uh, UEFA Cup quarterfinal. Okay, everyone knows what the result was, but the atmosphere on that night, it was one of those where you could cut it with the proverbial knife, wasn't it? So are we, I mean, the, the atmosphere at the city ground this season has been unreal, but that's still the benchmark, isn't it? Bayern Munich in 1996. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the only way, the the, the 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 advantages that Bayern Munich had over today were it was a nighttime game and it was a club we never played before. So, but apart from that, yeah, it it, it was up there. It compares with that night. Okay, so playing Bayern Munich more exciting than playing Swansea City. All right. <laughs> well, given the way the Swansea played. Okay, well, say there, there's there's plenty to talk about in terms of what actually happened in the match. So, so the first thing to talk about is that this was a match that was absolutely chock full of chances in both halves, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 Forrest had plenty of chances before eventually uh, the Swansea rear guard was breached, didn't they? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, to the point where, to, to jump ahead, Surridge, Sam Surridge was man of the match, whereas I posted in our WhatsApp chat, uh, chat he's having an absolute mare today <laughs> yes i i was going to bring that up but you've brought you've got in there ahead of me so i think it's fair to say that uh, the forest center forward will have gone in at half time thinking should have done better there yeah absolutely there was at least two chances especially that the chip he did he got broke broke free and he got in he, he was one-on-one with the keeper and he tried to chip him but just tamely shot it out straight at the keeper um and then the, the rest of it, the, their keeper was just outstanding. There's at least three world-class saves in the first half. Where mm. you, you're like, how did he stop that, that going in? But but there were, there was a couple of chances that Surridge had that looked, for someone of his ability, it looked easier to to score than to miss, and he missed them. And so I I was like, what what's going on here? What do we have to do to actually score? So you had a feeling it was going to be one of those days? Yeah, Okay, so let's come on to how Forrest took the lead because you've mentioned that effort by Surridge and then um, uh, Zinkenagel had uh, a follow-up effort from that cleared off the line. So immediately, okay, maybe not for the players, but as as pessimistic fans, you're there in the stands, aren't you? You're going, oh God, it's going to be one of those days, aren't you? And then that feeling must have really intensified when we had the scramble that led eventually to Forrest taking the lead. Now, I know this is a little bit, a bit of a blur in your mind in, in a game where so much happened, but, but what on earth did you see? Because I cannot make head nor tail of it even now. <laughs> so, well, I mean, this, I, I, I think what I saw was actually what happened from, from hearing about it from other views, which is basically um, somehow the ball ended up with Colback at the uh, left-hand post, uh, with Cyrus Christie in front of him. Um, Colback tries to drive it forwards and Christie falls on the floor and somehow manages to keep the ball out. But Colback keeps pushing and gets the ball over the line. The, 
referee then runs over and instead of giving a goal, shows Christy a red card and points to the spot. Um, Jono gets ready to take the um, to take the penalty. Um, Worrell's there in front of their keeper who's trying to to put Jono off. And then um, Colback runs over to the referee and starts remonstrating with him. The referee then goes over to his assistant and then goes over to the fourth official. This almost, I don't know, it felt like it took about five minutes, but it was probably only about a minute or whatever. But then the referee points um, points to the centre circle saying it was a goal and then rescinds, and then what well, I didn't realise at the time, and I didn't realise till afterwards when I tried to count their players, he'd rescinded the red card and said it was a yellow. So obviously uh, uh, the only reason I can think he did that was because he thought Cyrus Christie tried to handle it, but didn't. And therefore that's why it crossed the line. Because if he had tried to handle it and had handled it, then it doesn't matter whether it crossed the line or not. It should have still been a red, I'd have thought. Yeah. And so, I mean, the thing that I don't understand in the midst of all of that. So if the ref eventually gave, gives the right decision in terms of giving a goal, then all well and good. Because obviously if the ball crosses the line... I would say it did look like the ball crossed the line from where I was. Oh yeah, and and there is a still image. Um, The BBC um, Sport app has a still image of it where it shows that the ball's clearly over the line and Christie's trying to scoop it back while lying on the ground. He's trying to scoop it back with his hand. So it was a handball, but the ball was already out of play, which begs the question, how on earth can he give a yellow card? Because the ball wasn't in play when he handled it. Intent of handling the ball only counts when it actually hits your hand, I suppose. So, so um, I think I think the referee probably, um, a, a, again, on the whole, in terms of the goal being awarded, the right decision was reached. But it was a big mess. And I don't think a lot of people knew what's happening. In fact, um, the Sky Sports app at the time was saying, it's uh, that firstly, Christie got sent off, Colback missed a penalty, and then VAR overturned the red card. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's how much sense it made to everyone. Okay, so Forest are in the lead. Didn't last very long, did it? No, um, to be honest, I barely saw their goal because I was still trying to get my head around what was what had happened for our goal. Um, it was a long ball and, was it Oberfemi, I think? Mm-hmm. Um, danced around Steve Cook and then it was in. <laughs> I didn't really, I, I, as I say, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't even, I sort of looked up and then, it had happened. So, um, so it may, maybe maybe the Forest team they had their minds on that bizarre yeah. goal as well. Um, I saw a couple of comments on social media saying, uh, "I love Cookie, but if that had been Toby, people would have been crucifying him." Yeah, I can imagine that. Okay. Um, but then, well, I mean, the, what we haven't t- talked about is uh, Swansea's style of play in the first half. Because I think that has a bearing on all the things that were happening to the Forest side. Um, and there was a point where, as as you said, the pessimistic fan in me was thinking we're not going to get anything out of this game. Um, so um, basically, Swansea spent a lot. Most Well, actually, I looked up the stats at, at half-time. Swansea had 68% possession and completely outdid us on passing. And the reason for that was what they would do was give the ball to their keeper, Fisher, who would then have one of their defenders stand alongside him. John would come forwards to try and pressure whoever had the ball. And then they would pass the ball between each other, making John do a little dance. And then they would push it forwards. 
And then once it went forwards, as soon as it crossed the halfway line, one of their players would pretend to be injured. And it was absolutely infuriating. It's the most negative, dull, boring tactic I've ever, ever seen for maybe 10, 15 years. I've not seen a side play like that for years. I thought thought Russell Martin was the saviour of pure football. Well, yeah, and this is this is the thing. That's what really got me. My my, my comment in the thing about um, about um, Steve Cooper and, and Swansea and stuff is it was absolutely infuriating to watch. And there was a point not long after. So I think Steve Cook that you could see the the players, our players, were getting more and more frustrated with it, especially as the referee. I mean, I, I guess he's in an impossible position. If a player's saying he's injured, you have to stop the game. But then he's he's down on the ground for like two minutes, stopping us from playing. Goes uh, goes off the pitch and then comes back on and he's running absolutely fine again. And it happens like four or five times over the course of ten minutes. So we could get no rhythm whatsoever, and you could see our players were getting frustrated. And I was like, we're going to have a red card and then we're going to throw this match away. Okay, so uh, when you talk about your comments in the thing, that's in our group chat where you did say yeah. uh, before the end of the first half, they got rid of Cooper because he played boring football. These are the most negative, boring side I've seen all year. There are a couple of other words in there as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I think the crucial thing there, so we will talk about this. There's, there's a couple more moments uh, involving Andy Fisher that we'll, we'll talk about. But crucial thing there is that... Um, Teams who do that, they do it because they want to rile the opposition. And and we've seen Forrest do that most recently under Sabri. We've seen Forrest do that very effectively under Billy Davis as well. If we go back, not, you know, a few more years. And you do that because you want to drag the opposition down a peg or two. Now, we will return to that theme in a little while. But I do just want to mention Andy Fisher because... Although it was one all at half time, it could easily have been four or five one, couldn't it? Because yeah. Andy Fisher was having an inspired game in the Swansea goal, wasn't he? In in the in the first half, I'd say at least three like outstanding saves, completely amazing saves, and probably the same again in the second half. Yeah. Um, he was having an inspired game, definite. Yeah. So. Um... Uh, a, a save from Joe Wall, who uh, tried to head in from a corner by Jimmy Garner. And then just before half time, he made a double save. Mm. Uh, one was Sam Surridge again with a header, and then Ryan Yates on the in the same move, basically. Yeah, on the rebound. Um, and and I have to say is that I thought Colin Frey was going to explode at that point. And in fact, even Brian <laughs> Laws sounded sounded as if he's in some kind of distress um, because they just couldn't believe that that the keeper had pulled a double save. And look, we know what the scoreline is. My first thought, again, as a fan of a certain age, was I'm thinking back to when we lost 5-2 against Yeovil and Paul Smith was our man of the match and pulled off an incredible triple save. And um, in a way, that's a good sign, isn't it? Because, um, oh, a good sign for Forrest, because the fact that we needed their keeper to be on top form and we still managed to put Swansea out of sight in that second half is is a very good sign. Now, before we talk about actual moments in the second half... Let's go back to that theme. So Swansea were trying to play the dirty game. Yeah. And you were worried that Forrest were going to get drawn into that. Now, at half time, 
And for the listener's benefit, I'm currently um, still in isolation following a bout of COVID. So I only had Colin Ray and Brian Laws to go on here. But at half time, I did find myself thinking, right, so there's two ways you can respond to this. Number one is you come out and you try and, you know, play them at their own game. Or number two, which is what I expect, Steve Cooper will get them to come into that dressing room at half time. Cooper and the players, and players like Worrell and Cook and so on, they will sit down, they'll just go, right, we're not going to get drawn into this. We've got to focus on what we do, because if we do our good things well, then we will be all right in this match. And am I right in saying that's exactly what they did? They The second half was a much calmer affair. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, at half time, all our subs went in as well, which is quite unusual. Um. And they they came out again for for like the, the final sort of seven minutes or something of half time, but everyone went in together. So they obviously wanted to have he obviously wanted to have like a, a, everyone in there to to go through this particular talk. And then yeah, when we came out in the second half, to be fair to Swansea as well, they obviously changed their tactics. They weren't as much. I mean, you, know, you, you compared what Billy Davis' side used to do. This, they, they were nothing to what Swansea were doing today. But in the second half, they decided they were going to play football as well. Um, so, so that kind of evened it out a little bit. Okay. Now, the good news is that, well, I remember there's um, a Welsh uh, journalist who contacted me uh, before the match and said, "Oh, I'm, I'm wondering. Last time Forest won seven matches in a row at home, uh, and I said, I don't, I don't know, but." But he was talking about how Swansea, you know, they can score goals, but they can concede goals. And I was saying, I think scoring the first goal is going to be important. And in the first half, it was good, but then we conceded. I think getting an early goal in the second half is a statement of intent. And it's the kind of thing which can, you know, literally and figuratively put your nose in front, can't it? Yeah, I mean, I think if we hadn't scored an early goal, then I think maybe the nerves and the tension would have would have built up in the, certainly from the fans, if not the players, um, in this, in, and it would have been felt in the ground. So getting an early goal was important from that point of view. It also then forced Swansea to make a double substitution, which then compounded their cha- their change of tactics as well. Well, let's just talk about that that um, first goal in the second half. After just three minutes of the restart, and a couple of things worth thinking about. So, firstly, Sam Surridge could have had two or three goals in the first half. So, again, mental fortitude, a striker in form and with confidence uh, goes in at half time and thinks, I'm going to get those goals in the second half. A striker who's devoid of confidence goes in with their head down and comes yeah. out with their head down and isn't going to put those away. The second thing is that. It's yet another indication of Forrest being absolutely lethal from set pieces. And this isn't just about the fact that Jimmy Garner can deliver a really good corner, which he can, obviously. But also, I mean, this when was I cannot I actually cannot remember a time that Forrest scored so many goals from corners and free kicks, possibly not since the days of Colin Cooper. I was thinking, mate, the, the only other time we've been decent at corners and free kicks has been Billy Davis. Luke but we weren't, we, we weren't that good. We're not as, as good as we are now. Uh, uh, them. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just, it was uh, play the ball into the box and have the big man <laughs> head it in. It was, it was a simple thing, but it worked. Okay. I'm just going to read out something from the BBC Sports uh, report on this match. 
Swansea supporters sometimes question the style of football that Steve Cooper's side played during his two years as their manager, but the host can continue to create chance after chance, and Sam Surridge curled home his second goal on 52 minutes following a rapid Forest counter-attack. Now, if I thought Colin Frey and Brian Laws were going to explode with that double save by Andy Fisher in the first half, I thought my whole radio was going to blow up when, <laughs> when Sammy Surridge scored his second and Forest's third goal. Talk us through it. Well, it was, um, again, <laughs> details like aren't, aren't in my head. It was a counter-attack, uh, I think, was it the one that Steve Cook started off? Uh, I think that was a different one. Um, this oh, one, right. Yates played it through to Garner, and then, yeah, uh, yeah Garner play, found Sam Surridge on the left-hand corner yeah, of the box. Yeah, in, in space on the left-hand side, and you could see Surridge, um, as it was coming in, Surridge basically... Um, shifted his shape um like you could see him preparing and then he just whacks it in in the top corner it was and as you were saying about a striker with confidence it takes a lot of confidence just to receive that and then just place it like that it was it was outstanding finish and quite rightly Joel Pirro of Swansea has been getting plaudits this season because he scored a lot of goals by being a fine first-time finisher Sammy Surridge as is one of the best finishers I've seen in a red shirt since I don't even know when. He's he's brilliant, isn't he? Yeah, it's it is quite something. Um, I think what's it again in the chat? We had someone to come up with the stat, which is one goal every seventy-five minutes or something. Yeah, Adam um, pointed out, and I, we've not fact-checked that, but to be honest, bearing in mind that his for the first two months of his City Grand career, he was coming on off the bench for like 15 minutes at a time. Yeah. His goal return is is phenomenal, isn't it? And he got yeah. his hat-trick um, on 69 minutes. So this was a ball in from the, I think it's from Jed Spence on the right-hand side. Uh, the ball deflected onto the crossbar. And even then, again, a confident striker makes it look easy, doesn't he? Um, yeah. He chested it down and volleyed it from the cute angle. And, and it just, he looked so nonchalant with it, didn't he? <laughs> and well, and the keeper as well, the keeper thought he'd saved it, but was actually behind the line when he'd saved it. So I mean, that, that sort of, again, yeah, the nonchalance of it sort of like fooled the keeper. And this is a keeper who's been on fire and has having one of the games of his life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So at that point, 4-1. Now, were you thinking at 4-1, let's go and get some more? And yes. did you think the team were thinking that? Yes. Uh, well, th- th- that's quite interesting. So everyone obviously had an eye on the Bournemouth score. And we could see them and they were they were 2-0 up and then uh, we got to 4-1 and then they got to 3-0. So, so we were matching them. And I, I said to the bloke next to me, we need six here. And you could see after the fourth goal, Surridge's goal went in, Ryan Yates, if you remember back to the Bristol City game, the the turning point of the season, I think, mm-hmm. when Lyle Taylor got the, the goals in um, in injury time. And he, after the penalty, he picked the ball up and then ran back to the centre spot saying, we can do this. Well, that's what Yates did. with with After Surridge had scored, everyone was celebrating and Yates picked the ball up and ran back to the centre circle. So he obviously wanted to get at six. Four, well. one up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But obviously things had to change a little bit. So there were some substitutions. Zinc was the first man to go off. Um, I was a little bit surprised that he played because he looks the most injured of the uh, of the three who went off in uh, against Fulham. Uh, and, and Lolly came on. So straight swap there. Um, yep. 
Surridge got taken off just about five minutes later for Alex Mighton to come on. So um, first things first, I think everyone would agree that he's he's got his hat trick. Let's give him a rest, especially if he's carrying a bit of a bit of a niggle. Um, but uh, were you surprised to see Mighton coming on? And um, and was it just a straight swap? Yeah, it, it it pretty much was. It was kind of well, yeah, yeah, it was. So so Mighton was sort of playing down the left, um, Johnson down the right, and Lolly sort of in the middle as a false nine kind of thing. So it was a front three, but but yeah. sort of with a bit of depth. Thank you, Doug. And then um, on 83 minutes, Colback was uh, was taken off and, and Larrier came on. And yeah. uh, just like on uh, in the match at Fulham, this didn't see Larrier go to left wing back like he does for his yeah. country. But uh, again, Jed Spence went to the left-hand side and Larrier came on on the right. Uh, this was your first chance to have a have a glimpse of the Canadian. Um, do you agree with me that he is one of the smallest people you've ever seen on a football pitch? <laughs> I didn't notice that. What I did notice, actually, this this is an, another talking point, and I'd be I'd be interested to hear what other people think. Is the woman behind me, who's got a very loud voice, uh, was convinced during the most of the game that um, Warrell and Spence were having a big argument. Now I didn't see it myself. But um, when Richie came on and Spence went to the other side, she was like, well, Warrell would be much happier now. And what actually happened was Richie was basically playing almost as a right winger mm-hmm. alongside Johnson. And then Warrell was playing behind him. Yeah. So the, the, the entire shape we, we had kind of changed a bit. Yeah, yeah. Might come back to that in a little while, but... All I will also say is that same woman behind you, um, the matches where where I've been and sat in that, you know, uh, sat, sat in your seat, basically. I've noticed that's been a recurring theme coming from that particular uh, <laughs> member of member of the crowd. Um, not long after Larrier came on. We 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 got the fifth goal and it was Alex Mighton and. I think it's, I quite liked this just purely and simply because for somebody who's been in danger of becoming a forgotten man, he came in with, you know, had great promise for last season or so. And then has kind of really had to bide his time and just, you know, little substitute appearances here and there. So for him to come on and, and basically for a small lad to bulldoze his way through to yeah. his goal, I quite like. Yeah, definitely. It was like, um, so uh, the, um, Goal against Fulham was a bit. In the olden days, you and I we used to call them Man City goals when Man City weren't good. Um, where it's basically the, there's like a scramble in the box, and then suddenly the ball goes in off someone's arse. Yeah. And and the go, goal against Fulham was a Man City goal. The first one today was a Man City goal, and Alex Mightens was a Man City goal as well. Yeah, they all count though, don't they? Yep, <laughs> they all count. Okay, so um, let's let's just. Um, wind up the actual game itself there because it did end 5-1 to Forest and uh, in just a second we'll talk about what that means You're listening to 1865 The Nottingham Forest Podcast We took it all We brought them to our land An endless night Ember hot and icy cold The rage of the earth We made this curse Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 
Okay, Baz. So it was a 5-1 victory, uh, a handsome victory, and um, no less than Forest deserved, I think it's fair to say. They um, they really could have could have got double figures on another day, couldn't they? Yeah, it could have been 5-1 at half-time. Okay, well, that, that says it all. Now, I said just before our break that we would come back to a, a little thing that you, that you mentioned there, which was about Worrell pushing forward. And considering that Chris Wilder is the pioneer of over, overlapping centre-halves, something I've definitely noticed in the last few weeks is that Worrell and McKenna are basically doing that now, aren't they? They yeah, are basically absolutely. pushing right up and spending as much time in the opposition half as they can. It's not quite like overlapping centre-halves because I'm sure that there is tactical reasoning behind it but it's just also that Forest, as the season has gone on are playing higher and higher up the pitch aren't they? Yeah and, and it's it's weird I think what Swansea were trying to do in the first half to some extent was to draw us up the pitch and then try and catch us on the break but we don't seem to get caught on the break when we do this. And that's what I don't really understand about our tactics is like, why doesn't it fall down? You'd think with like playing what's effectively an incredibly high line, just leaving one old, not as mobile defender back (laughs) would would cause problems, but it it doesn't seem to. I mean, one of the things I will say is that I think a lot of that, again, comes down to confidence. Confidence is such a happy, happy bedfellow because we, every, everyone's seen that clip of McKenna against Fulham where he, he did, yeah, yeah. As, big, as Big Ron would have said, he sold his uh, centre forward a lollipop, didn't he? Did that <laughs> little sort of Cruyff turn and then beat the next man to the ball and then play the through ball going forward. Um, Steve Cook did that by bringing the ball out for Forrest's, um, I think for Surridge's third goal, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and so when you've got players who are playing with high levels of confidence, belief in their own ability, it actually means that you can push further forward. Because if the ball, if you end up in a defensive situation, your own players have got the trust that they can do the right things to get out of trouble, whether that be doing a trick, whether that be finding a teammate or whether that be, in some cases, just booting into Rosette if that's what you need to do. Oh, they've got faith that they can a, do it. There's a point to make about Zinkenagel here as well, because I can't remember, what was the game? I watched it on the telly where he did, he he ran back and then did like a inch perfect tackle. Sheffield uh, if he got it, yeah, and if he got it wrong, it would have been a red card. And he's added that to his game that he didn't have that when he when he came to us. And what I noticed today, um, again, someone was complaining about him in this in, that was sat near me, saying he hadn't done much in the game. But I thought actually. All he'd done was lots and lots of tackling, which that that kind of that that work rate kind of thing, which it kind of went unnoticed from everyone else because they see him as a number ten sort of player. But he's he's putting in this extra shift. Yeah, and that's something that I would also say. He maybe doesn't do the tackles as much, but Brennan Johnson, I've noticed that. For, for a, the middle third of the season, I'd say the great thing about Brennan Johnson is that every time he went forward, he looked dangerous. But now, every time he goes forward, he looks dangerous, but he also tracks back. Forrest well, defending was... that as well. Go on. Um, the, the one of, I've noticed, he did it twice today when, when he was playing right in front of me. Um, one of the most dangerous situations a player can be in is if you're their, their left back and you have the ball and you're trying to get past Brennan Johnson and he tackles you, 
he's so good at with the ball, he can take it round you and then he's got a free run on goal. And you think of all the times when he's cut in on the right wing, it's because he's taken the ball off the left back. Yeah, um, uh, but I guess the point that, that I was making is that there are times in that middle third of the season, and, and let's be fair, this was Chris Hewton's misgiving about Brennan Johnson, where it would be like playing with 10 men if you're in a defensive situation. It's not anymore. So every player has added all of those facets to their game. If they're an attacker, they've learned to defend, but not defend just as an individual, but defending as a team. If you're yeah. a defender, then you're suddenly finding yourselves being comfortable, being 15 yards in the opposition half, even if you are somebody who made your name as a, as a, as a long-king centre-half. So it's, it's just something which comes with confidence. But it's, let's be honest, it comes with coaching as well, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... The the obvious example and is obviously a very good one for this this season, is is the way Liverpool play because they play that very very high line and they press right from the front. That's what you mean when you say defending as a team. That's that's pressing. That's the, the Gagan press kind of style. Um, so yeah, we're up there with an illustrious company and we almost took that game from them. So mm, yeah, well, okay. You we started off talking about the atmosphere and how it was electric. What was the atmosphere like when the final whistle went and beyond? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to preempt your answer, actually, slightly. Uh, one of the things that they're talking about on the radio is that, so the final whistle went, just can't get enough started playing. The crowd went bananas. Uh, they did their usual thing of going around, milking the applause. Stevie Cooper did his fist pumps. And then at that point, Colin Frey said, Look, Joe Worrell's in the centre circle. He's gathering everyone around him. And it's almost as if they realised, like, this could be the last match at the city ground this season. And then they went round and did the kind of the end of season rather than the end of match um, adulation. So is that a sign that the players think that this was the last home match of the season? There was one interesting point on that which was um, Jimmy Garner didn't look like he was saying goodbye to us. What does that mean? <laughs> that, so uh, so if, if he genuinely thought that it was the last home match of the season, I'm sure he would have been around saying goodbye to us. Okay, right. Um, which, which, it, which I mean, then, and it's, I, I put, I think I put that in WhatsApp as well. Is I really don't want to see him again at the city ground in yeah, the forest. Yeah, but. yeah we, we don't want to, we don't want to see any of the players again at the city ground this season. <laughs> um, let's talk about the table. So, Bournemouth are, they won 3 0 away and they are three points ahead of us. Their goal difference is plus 33. We are three points behind them on 79 points and our goal difference is plus 34. Now, what that means is that if, and I'm putting it as a very much if, if Forrest can go to Bournemouth on Tuesday and win, then going into the last round of matches, Forrest will be in second place and it'll pole position for automatic promotion. It's still possible we could get pipped on goal difference but we will be in in the driving seat. However, on Tuesday, if we lose, we're in the playoffs. No ifs, no buts, that's it. Okay. 
Um, if we draw, then I can only see an increase in prescriptions for Valium being uh, <laughs> issued in the East Midlands and South Coast regions. Yes, if we draw, is it if we draw, then Bournemouth have to lose on the last day and we have to win? Pretty much, yeah, because it'll still be a three point gap. The goal difference will still be slightly in Forest's favour. So it will mean that. Now, yeah. let's talk about what I, I don't want to go into this too much because we are getting into the realms of the hypothetical. But one thing that was pointed out as well. Millwall have one match to go and they're still within a shout of the playoffs. It's unlikely. They're not in the driving seat for that final playoff place. Who are they playing on the last weekend of the season? Bournemouth. So Bournemouth's opponents will also have something to play for. Um, Let's not go into that because that's the whole rabbit hole that is all hypothetical at the moment until we've got Tuesday out of the way. Now, if I'm Bournemouth, I will have been absolutely delighted after some mediocre run of results to go away to a team like Blackburn, who somehow have still been in the reckoning for the playoffs and get a 3-0 victory. So I'm going to, if I'm a Bournemouth player, if I'm Philip Billing, scored two goals, 3-0 away win, I'm coming off the pitch going, oh my God, that's brilliant. We've got to be in pole position. And I come off the pitch, look at my phone and find that Forrest have won 5-1. So we've actually gained ground in terms of goals, if not points. Scott Parker gave an interview. Um, I think it was in his press conference on Thursday. And uh, I'm yeah, not I, saw, to... I saw the, the thing that, you, that had been posted and I, I was like, yeah, fair enough. But he's going to say that. But then I heard the actual clip this morning and he sounded so rattled. I, I, it, he sounded like someone who was on the verge not for the first time in the last few weeks, we are going to make reference to a certain interview that fans of a certain age might remember from the 1990s. And um, yeah, so Kevin Keegan's interview, I, I, I couldn't help but have that in my mind when I heard <laughs> Scott Park because it was, yeah, one million percent we can do it, one million percent we can be. <laughs> and I just thought, yeah, I'd love it if we could be that <laughs> I'd love it if we get automatic promotion. <laughs> That's what he was saying. Yeah. He, it's hard not to believe that Bournemouth are rattled and that Scott Parker is rattled. Am I right? Yeah, I think, well, that he sounded so rattled. It was, you could hear it in his voice. There was, there was that edge to it. It's like, I really want to believe this, what I'm saying right now. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. He sounded like he was saying it because he wanted to try and convince himself. Yeah. Now, of course, of course, Bournemouth did then go on and, and, and win today. So whether that's by luck or judgment, uh, who knows? But as a fan, having seen what you've seen today from Forest, coming at the, you know, after a run of really tricky fixtures, an outstanding victory away at Fulham. And also, let's be honest, Forest have been in the wars. So we've lost our two first choice strikers. The next man up is carrying an injury. Our number 10 is carrying an injury. Our makeshift left back, who's been drafted in because our actual left back has been injured for half the season, he's carrying an injury. The next option at centre forward is uh, a kid who's barely played. And then the next option after that is a kid who actually hasn't played. And yet nothing phases them. Forest aren't rattled at all, are they? Uh, they they don't look it. <laughs> I'm rattled. 
But, <laughs> but is Steve Cooper rattled? No, um, the, the team aren't. That they, and I guess, I guess it's like um, what well, Steve Cooper often says: you have to focus, and you have to focus on the things that you're you can control. So we can't do anything about those injuries. So let's just do the best that we can with with what we've got, and that seems to be what we're doing, and it works. Okay, and uh, let's hope it works for two more matches at least. <laughs> What worries me is, obviously, it's down to injuries more than anything, I think. If we had our, our full first team, then I don't think Bournemouth would have a chance. But we don't, and it depends on how how, how bad these injuries everyone's carrying is. Um, what worries me is if, say, we draw and then Bournemouth win on the final day and that puts us in the playoffs, is is that such a crushing disappointment? And then for people our age... Is that such a crushing disappointment and we're playing Sheffield United? Yeah, well, I was hoping you weren't going to go there. I was hoping not to go down this route. But um, as we discussed again in our group chat, uh, there will be a a lot of Forest fans who who basically have PTSD thinking about (laughs) the playoffs. And then even more so when you think about the playoffs, if it's Sheffield United. So let's not go down that route. Let's see what happens on Tuesday. So we will have a match report for you after Tuesday night's match. Um, just thinking about it is giving me uh, giving me butterflies and it's giving me palpitations. <laughs> you know, whatever happens, let's just remember that in the space of, I think, 30, I think it was 39 matches. Uh, no, not even that, 36 matches. Steve Cooper has got Forrest guaranteed a place in the playoffs so whatever else happens even if it doesn't feel like it at times this season has been an unbelievable success so let's see what happens on Tuesday and let's not get too wound up even though those words are going to fall on deaf ears to anyone who likes wearing red uh thank you very much to you Baz Thank you to you, listener. I'm going to be also on the Second Tier podcast to discuss the promotion running this weekend. So do join us there. And um, let's see what happens on Tuesday. Come on, you Reds. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.